Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We've been in the last couple of weeks talking about the subject of eschatology, which is the end times. And we're going to continue that here this morning. But for those of you that weren't with us, this is a quick review here at the beginning. You notice we believe the next event to take place is going to be the rapture of the church. Now, there's all kind of views that are out there. There's the pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, and also post-trib views. Uh, we're not going to discuss all those, um, but we're going to talk about the pre-trib ram, and we'll do that in just a moment. But next events, the rapture of the church, then the church is going to be in heaven for seven years. And during the seven-year period that we're in heaven, we believe what's going to happen is we're going to meet Jesus, and he's going to judge us, and we're going to have the judgment seat of Christ where we give an account of our lives. Then the marriage supper of the Lamb, good supper, you're going to enjoy it, guaranteed. Then preparation for the battle of Armageddon. But on the earth, seven years of tribulation will take place. The tribulation, not just tribulation, but the tribulation. We call that the last uh, seven years of Daniel's prophecy. The last week, 70th week will take place. And Revelation 6 through 19 is going to be carried out. And then also the second coming of the Lord. When he comes, just as Israel about to be defeated, he will come in the, and they'll see him come and touch, touch down on the Mount of Olives. He'll fight for Israel and defend Israel and bring victory. That's when Israel's going to accept Jesus as their Messiah. And then there's going to be the, after the battle of Armageddon, there's going to be the judgment of the Gentile nations. And then after that, there's going to be Satan being bound. Aren't you glad for that? For 1,000 years. Now, for those that said we've already been through this 1,000-year period, I don't know. I, I can't recall in my lifetime when Satan was bound for a thousand years. Can anybody attest for that? That hasn't happened yet. He'll be bound for a thousand years. Thank God for that. The millennial reign of Christ will then take place for 1,000 years and there'll be perfect peace upon this planet where the lion will lie with the wolf and the lamb and et cetera, et cetera. And you can play with rattlesnakes and they won't hurt you. Amen. And then also, after that thousand-year period, Satan will be loose for a small season to tempt those that, that actually came in through the millennial reign of Christ. So they'll be tempted for a while. And can you believe this? Some will follow him. Some will follow him even after that. But it's going to happen. He'll be loose for a thousand seasons to tempt people. Then you've got the battle of Gog and Magog that will take place. And after that, we have the great white throne judgment. Death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. Then it'll be the new heaven and the new earth. So for those that say the world's coming to an end, I got news for you. It's not. There's going to be a thousand year millennial reign of Christ. So it can't possibly happen. Now, 10 reasons. These are just some of the reasons why we believe, I believe personally in a pre-trib rapture of the church. Number one, Daniel's 70th week. All 70 weeks apply to Israel, Jerusalem, and the Jewish people. All 70 weeks. So if the first 69 applied to them, so does the 70th. Now, a sandwich in between the 69th and 70th is the church age that we're living in right now. It's called the field of harvest. So if he dealt with Israel, the Jewish people, and Jerusalem for the first 69, why won't he deal with them exclusively in the 70th week, which we believe he will? Number two, the Feast of Trumpets. We know the first four spring feasts have already taken place. 
Now we're in the harvest season, which is, again, that period between the 69th and 70th week. And what did Jesus say? The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few, right? So we're in the harvest time right now. And during that feast of trumpets, when the trumpet sounds, what happens? They get off the harvest field and they go into the temple. We believe that's when the rapture takes place and we're removed from the earth and we go to the house of God where those three things will happen. The third one then is the distinct event to end the time of the Gentiles. You know, the time of the Gentiles began, began with a distinct event. What was that? The day of Pentecost. Now, many believe, I've realized people got saved before that, the apostles did. But the day of Pentecost is the day when we, many will say, the church age really began with the advent of the Holy Spirit and they were sent out to start preaching and proclaiming the good news because Jesus said, don't go into here and do a power from on high. So it began with that. What's it going to end with? What's going to end the time of the Gentiles? We believe the rapture of the church will end it and the set last seven years will be the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and also Jerusalem. To re number four, remove the restrainer of lawlessness. The church is restraining lawlessness right now. But when the church is gone out of here, the devil's going to have his way. Look out. So once he's removed from here, there's going to be utter chaos for the seven-year period called the tribulation period. Number five. Early in the tribulation, a quarter of the earth's population is destroyed. Look at Revelation chapter 6 and verse 8. What it says. And I looked and behold, a pale horse. And his name, this is the fourth seal that's open. His name that sat on it with him was death. And hell followed with him. And power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Notice, we see the fourth part of the earth do you think that might be some kind of catastrophic sign when a fourth of the population dies? And this is in the first part of the three and a half years, the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. That event's going to take place. A lot of people are going to die as a result of the fourth seal being opened. So when that takes place, people are aware of the fact that the end time is at hand. Number six, if the rapture is at any other time, it loses its imminence. You realize what imminence means? It can happen now, at any moment. But if it happened mid-trib, then you know when it's going to happen. Pre-wrath, you know when it's going to happen. Post-trib, you know when it's going to happen. The only time it could be imminent is now. We don't know the hour. We don't know the day, the time, as a thief in the night. You say, because three and a half year into it, let's just say that... If that happens, well, the Antichrist has a seven-year peace treaty that he makes with, Israel makes with Israel. And what happens? If it's a seven-year peace treaty, then you know from that peace treaty, three and a half years into it, the rapture takes place. We don't know when the rapture is supposed to take place. I don't know about you, but if you knew exactly what it was going to take place, you can certainly be perfectly ready for it. But that's not imminent. You know exactly when it's going to take place. If it's after, at the pre- Wrath, trim, same thing. You know approximately when it's going to take place. Okay, number seven. The church is not appointed to wrath. Oh, number, it's not appointed to wrath. And we see this in Romans 5, 9 and other places. We talked about that last week. We're not appointed to wrath. I have no appointment in my appointment book that I carry with me for wrath. The church does not suffer the wrath 
of God. Okay, eight, the outline of the book of Revelation. If you recall the story in the book of Revelation, when John was given the, the vision, he was told to write about the things you saw, the things that are, and the things that are to come. What were the things he saw? Remember he said, I have seen him, I've handled him, I've touched him. Jesus Christ, who washed us in his own blood from our sins, made us kings and priests before our God, he saw all that. I've seen him, I've handled him, I've touched him. But the things that are present, he's talking about the seven churches in the letters, chapter 2 and 3, that went out to the seven churches, which basically many theologians believe and scholars believe, this is the timeline of the church. You've got starting with Ephesus all the way through to the Laodicean church. You've got the pattern for the whole church over the ages. So one period here starting with Ephesus and it goes all the way through to Laodicea and Laodicean church being the last of the seven churches. It was a mail route. They would start here and go all the way around and finish there. Well guess what? We've gone through all six of them. We're in the seventh one. The Laodicean church age is here today right now. And we know that. And so as a result of knowing that, we know that the rapture of the church is coming imminently. It's going to take place at any time. That can happen at any time. But the third thing he said was, after that, the things that are to come. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, after those two and three chapters, he talks about the seven churches. He says, come up hither, chapter 4 and verse 1. So come up hither means we're out of here. The church is gone. The church is not mentioned in chapter 6 all the way through. We're in heaven. Chapter 5, we're just worshiping the Lord. Did you ever read chapter 5? I saw in the book, a hand, a hand in, of him that sat on the throne of a book written within and on the back side with, seal, seal with seven seals. I heard a, a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, who's worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof? There was no man in heaven, on earth, or beneath the earth, able to take the book, even to look thereon. So he wept. He wept much. But one of the elders said to him, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, of the root of David, he's prevailed to take the book and loose the seals thereof. And I beheld in the midst of the throne, and the beast and the elders stood a lamb as he had been slain, having seven eyes, seven horns, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. When he had taken the book, the beast, four and twenty elders, fell down before the lamb having every one of them golden vows, harps and golden vows full of orders. And they sung a brand new song saying, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. For he redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred tongue, people, and nation, made us kings and priests before our God. We shall reign in all the earth. I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. And the number was in 10,000 times, 10,000 and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that received riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature in heaven and on earth and beneath the earth and such as are in the sea heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him who sits on a throne to the Lamb forever. And the four beasts said, Amen. Four and twenty elders fell down. Amen. Hallelujah. That's, guess what? We're there. We're part of that celebration. Hallelujah. Then chapter 6 begins the tribulation period, which we don't want to be a part of. And then also, number nine, the difference between the rapture and the second coming. Some say there is no, sec, there's no third coming. And I don't know why this is, this is simplistic. No one said there was a third coming. There was the first coming as a baby. 
And the second coming, when he splits the eastern sky, splits the Mount of Olives, and sets up his kingdom upon the earth. But as you look at the events, this rapture is the rapture. It's not necessarily the second coming, unless you want to divide the second coming into part A and part B. Part A would be the rapture. Let me ask you this. If I told you I'm coming over your house after church today, I'd have to actually come over your house and set foot on your property and probably walk inside your house. But if I said I'm coming to hover over your house, what a trick that would be. I'm going to hover over your house today. Would you say there's a difference between hovering over your house and actually being on your house or in your house? The rapture then in that regard is not the second coming. The second coming is the second coming when he touches ground on earth. But the rapture is the meeting in the sky. And there's a distinct difference between the two. And there are many verses in the Bible that attest to that. Okay. So there's a distinct difference. The last one, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And Jesus made that very clear. So in that first three and a half years of tribulation, there's no way the gates of hell can prevail against the church. Or at any time can they prevail against the church. And there's more. There's a lot more. But you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. This is not my focus today. Uh, I did some tapes, a series that you can get into the seven churches of Revelation and get into the book of Revelation itself in 2011, 2014. Get the CDs. You can listen to all that. Here's my focus today. Listen to our focus today. How should Christians be living is my focus today. You know why? Because for 2,000 years, people have predicted, oh, he's coming on this day. Some said he was coming this last week. You realize that? What don't they get about no man knows the hour, the time, or the day when the Son of Man cometh? What don't they get about that? Do you understand that at all? So why make predictions? What's worse than their predictions is Christians being gullible enough to believe it. If you study church history and you find out when all these predictions were made, they go way back. People sold their property. They sold their homes. They gave all their money away to support these ministries that were trying to get the gospel out to all these different places. All they did was lose their retirement. Everything that they had, they gave up. And guess what? That, came, that day came and that day went. And he didn't come. So you see, we're not trying to prove a point. Because for 2,000 years, no matter what your position was or is, you're gone. Has no relevance to you whatsoever. And should Jesus not come in our lifetime, we're gone. So what does it matter? Just know he's coming. And here it is. What are the two most important words about eschatology? Be ready. Okay, so how should Christians be living? Number one, soberly, righteously, and godly. Look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. What does the grace of God teach us? Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Doing what? Looking for the blessed hope, the rapture, and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us, that we might be redeemed from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. So what's important about his coming? Be ready and live ready. Number two, spiritually alert. Be spiritually alert. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 
and this is right after the rapture, verses in chapter 4. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. It's a continuation. Chapter 5 is a continuation of the rapture um, messages, verses 13 through 18. And it continues on by saying, look, don't let that day overtake you as a thief in the night. Don't be asleep. Be alert. Be awake. Be ready. You know how easy it is to fall off to sleep when it comes to spiritual things? You know, because it's not happening, what are people saying? Well, where's the day of his coming? He's been supposedly been coming and coming for all these years. Look, God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what he wants for all men, which is why he is patiently waiting for the fruit of the earth for people to come in. And I guarantee you that when that day comes, it'll be a perfect moment in time. Why? Because we serve a perfect God. He knows exactly when to come. You might be thinking of your loved one that you want into the family of God, the kingdom of God. He'll know exactly the right time to come. Look at number three. How should we live as ambassadors for Christ? Be a soul winner for Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is how we should be living knowing that his return is what? Imminent. He can come in the heartbeat. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things passed away. All things become new. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and given unto us. Say it with me. He has given me a ministry of reconciliation. Did you know that you're a minister? You're a minister and you have the ministry of reconciliation. To wit or to make it known that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we as ambassadors for Christ... As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So what is he saying? You are an ambassador. You are a representative of the highest order. You represent the very kingdom of Almighty God, the Father, the Son Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. And everywhere you go as an ambassador for Christ, you're to let people know what? Your sins are forgiven in Christ. The debt, the sin debt has been paid all you've got to do is say yes to Jesus, and he wipes out your slate clean. You become a child of God. We all have this ministry of reconciliation to let everybody know that God reconciled everyone to himself by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we all should do that, no matter where we're at. Number four, be committed to a local church. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Notice all these talk about the coming of the Lord. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we know the day is approaching, do we not? Someone says, well, how close are we to the rapture? We're one day closer than yesterday. And tomorrow will be another day closer. Can you say amen? We know that. So the day's approaching, is it not? Uh, I guarantee you that some children are talking about the approaching day they go back to school. That day is approaching. Matter of fact, when August came first, first thing out of Andrew's mouth was August 1st is the school month. <clears throat> okay. So all the more we should do what? Encourage one another to gather together with other believers. So this is how we should be living as Christians. Number five, be prayerful. In Matthew uh, 26, 41, this is Jesus speaking. Watch, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Enter not that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can we know that? So in other words, every single day we're to watch and pray. 
When you get up in the morning, it's another day. Thank God for another day that he made for us to rejoice and be glad in. But Lord, I know you can come any moment right now. I need your grace. I need your mercy today. I need also the unction to function. Did you ever ask him for the unction to function? I need your unction of the Holy Ghost to help me function throughout the course of this day. May the spirit of obedience rest upon me today and every day of my life so I can obey you. I can serve you and walk with you the way you want me to walk. This is how we should be living every single day of our lives. And also having to get my attention when I do something wrong. Okay, number six. Keep the flesh under. Look at Romans chapter 13. Keep the flesh under. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. There it is. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, nor in strife, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So what's he saying? We're supposed to keep this flesh under every single day. I don't know about your flesh, but my flesh, it wants to act up every day. It wants this, it wants that, it wants the other thing. Have you ever noticed that when you... You've heard the commercial, Lay's, you can't eat just one. Right? And there's a truth to it, isn't there? Like, don't have that first piece of chocolate. Because once you taste it, and you see how good it is, anybody ever satisfied with one? It just doesn't work that way, does it? You'd be better off not having any. Because once you taste it, and you see it's good, which is why we're told, taste and see that the Lord is good. The more you taste that he is good, the more you're going to want of him. Amen. So keep the flesh under. Look at number seven. Work on transformation. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present yourself, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove it is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The 30, 60, and 100 fold work of God in your life. 30, 60, 100. That comes by the renewing of the mind. And so while we're living on this earth, we're being watchful, prayerful, waiting for Jesus to come. What are we doing? Renewing our minds to the word of God so we can be transformed. God wants transformed minds, transformed bodies. The spirit's been born again, but the soul has to be renewed. The body has to be kept under. It's up to us to do something with our soul and with our body. Psalm 23, 3 says what? He restores my soul, mind, will, emotions, and intellect. The way I think, the way I navigate through life. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is the way of death. And how much do we have going on in our world today about this? I, I don't know about you, but I think I've almost had it up to here with this situation. The last, I don't know if you heard this or not. I've heard recently that what they want to do is deny parents to write the right to say they're having a boy or a girl baby. Did you hear that? Yes. In other words, they want to protect that child's right to determine its gender after it's older and then say what it is, a boy or a girl. Uh-huh. Seriously? Renewing the mind. This does not come from God. That's all, that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, number eight, remember Jesus. Look at these verses here. and we, we do this all the time, but look at what he's saying here about the coming of the Lord being imminent. I have received the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as you often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till when? Amen. 
Till when? Till he comes. You realize every time we participate in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, we are looking for him to come, which is what Titus said, looking for that appearing of our Lord. So we remind ourselves of the fact that as I partake of the body, partake of the blood, Jesus, you also said that you're going to come in the same manner as you went up. You're coming again. I'm reminding myself that my labor in the Lord is not in vain. I'm serving you with my life because I know you're coming again. And you know what? I guarantee you this. If he doesn't come in your lifetime or my lifetime, he's still going to come. But we're also still going to go. Right? We're going to be out of here, right? We're living in the land of the dying. From the moment you're born, you begin to die. And when you die, you go to the land of the living. And when you get to the land of the living, you never die again. Think about that. So where you spend your eternal living depends on whether or not you've made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life while you're living in the land of the dying. So don't die without Jesus. So you could go to the land of the living. Somebody say amen to that. Okay, four key questions to ask ourselves. And every one of us can ask it to yourself, not somebody else. Number one, who and what am I living for? Yes, he's coming again. I don't want to just be right about whether it's pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-rat, post-trib. I just want to know that I'm living right for the Lord. In Matthew's gospel, we are told in chapter 16, look what it says. Then said Jesus to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life, in other words, live for yourself, shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life, for my sake, in other words, live for Jesus, you'll find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man come, come in all his glory of his Father with his angels, and he shall reward every man according to his work. Sometimes we can lose sight of that. In other words, like the Apostle Paul says, I have fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've done what God called me to do. I live for him and not for myself. Remember, Saul of Tarsus was living for himself. He was living for Judaism. He was living because he wanted Judaism to survive. He saw Jesus on the Damascus Road. And you talk about a 180. Oh, what a change of thought, what a change of mind, what a change of heart. And now he begins to serve the living God and the risen Savior. And he lived his life with all the persecution, all the affliction that he went through. The Lord delivered him out of all of it. But praise God, as a result, he could finish his course by saying, now I've got a crowd of righteousness just waiting for me. Number two, are my priorities in proper order? God first, family, marriage second, children third. You can add to that um, community. You can add to that country. You could, but the first Number one, God. Number two, marriage. Three, children. So that means family. You can say number one, God. Number two, family. You could put it that way. But is he first in our hearts and our lives? Number one. Our husbands loving their wives like Christ loved the church. What does this have to do with the return of the Lord? Because you see, it's not when he's coming. It's if we're living right when he comes. And living right means I love my wife as Christ loved the church. Or I submit myself to my husband as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents to the Lord for this is right. And if you will do that, God will reward you. God will bless you. For doing that, can you see that? He's bringing his reward with him. These are the things that matter. Not being right on a given date or time or hour. Or not even waiting out to the book of Revelation saying, I know exactly what this means. Because you're not going to know. Everyone just drowns when they get out into the book of Revelation anyhow. 
Okay, Joshua 24, 15, what did he say? If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served and that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. Priorities, priorities, priorities. We will serve the Lord. I will serve the Lord. My house will serve the Lord. We serve the Lord. We put him first in our hearts, our minds, our lives. Hallelujah. He is deserving of our service. Can you say amen? But then number three, am I serving him fervently? And this is really the question. Look at uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. Am I serving him fervently is the Greek word there. That word, Greek word for fervent. We'll get in a mo- just a moment. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The word fervent means hot, heated to the boiling point. It means the white heat of a weld. Did you ever see a welder has a shield over his eyes because it's so bright it'll blind him? Absolutely. That same word fervent, the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat when we have the new heavens and the new earth. This earth is going to melt with a fervent, hot, heated bright white light that is blinding. And he says, serve the Lord. How fervently in spirit. Sometimes we'll say, are you on fire? Your God is a consuming fire. Is there a fire in your bones? You know what lukewarm is? It's not hot heated. I guarantee you that. Lukewarm. Jesus says, uh, what did he say? People spit out lukewarm water. If you expect it to be cold or hot. Isn't this something how God knows everything? Right? He does, doesn't he? He uses every analogy you can possibly think of. He knows everything because he made us. I guess he should know everything about us. Some people like their coffee hot. And today, I guess some like it cold. I don't drink coffee, so I don't know. Iced coffee, hot coffee. But lukewarm, eh. Right? Nobody usually likes that. He knew. So, in other words, am I on fire serving God? Have I let the embers of that fire grow dim? Stoke the flame. That's why you're here today. Stoke the flame. Stir up those embers. Get that fire burning once again. Jesus is coming again soon. It could be tomorrow morning, praise God. It could be tonight. It could be any time right now because it's imminent. But the idea is not knowing when he's coming. The idea is be ready when he's coming. Live ready when he's coming. Get on fire for God and serve the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Can you see that? With a fourth question. You ready for this one? What changes would I make if I knew he was coming next year? What changes would I make if I knew he was coming next year? And once again, I think this is really uh, another reason for the pre-trib rapture. Because if, once he signs that agreement at the beginning of the seven-year period, you know he's going to come within seven years. Right? You have to. He has to come either three and a half years into it, or three and a half, and some say a little bit after that, or, or the seven years. You're going to know it. So if you knew he was coming within the next seven years, would you make any changes in your life? He has to come within those seven year period, that seven-year period. What changes would you make in your life if you knew he was coming next week, next month, next year? You see why it's imminent means you don't know when he's going to come. And we should be making changes now as if he were coming tomorrow. In other words, is there someone that you might forgive? Would you get rid of bitterness from your heart? Would you make amends with somebody that maybe you fell apart from a relationship with? 
Or would you pay a debt that you owe? You see what I'm saying? It's just all these things. What would you do if he was coming within the next year or the next week? What changes would we make? Now, the believer's judgment. This is what's important to all of us. Number one, we're going to be judged for our words and our works. Our works and our words. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You're sitting out there thinking, well, I'd rather him make a prediction as to when he's coming <laughs> than have to listen to all this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Roll up your sleeves, saints. Are you ready? Um, for half of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For those that give more will have to not sit before the judgment seat of Christ. For those that give less will have to sit before, no. What does it say? We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So these are the works that we're going to be judged for in the flesh. See, in this day of excessive grace when people say that works don't really mean anything, and I understand, you're not saved by works, but you're rewarded by works. You understand that? You're rewarded by works. You're going to have people that are going to be so rewarded because they prayed things through in their church body. You know, people that are out there positioned by God and they've done the right thing. They've dedicated themselves in their lives, whether it's supporting the work, praying for the work, etc., being involved in the work. They'll be rewarded for that. Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. That's our works. And what about our words? Someone once told me one time, if, I, if I'm always thinking about my words, I'll be in bondage to my words. Well, you're going to be bound by your word no matter what. Because you're snared by the words of your mouth. You're taken captive by the words of your mouth. But these are not my words that we're about to read. These are the words of Jesus I'm about to read. And look at what he said. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart will bring forth good things. Evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart shall bring forth evil things. But I say unto you, and who's speaking? Jesus. That every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you'll be condemned. Oh my. My own words will justify or condemn me. See, this is the judgment seat of Christ. Where people will stand before judgment and they're going to give an account of the things that they've done in their body. Whether it be good or bad. And also their words. Now look at the next one. Our motives and our are also our motives are going to be judged. Our attitudes of the heart are going to be judged. Number uh, two. First Corinthians chapter three. Let's read it. Our motives will be judged. Anybody here want a reward on the other side in glory? Are you striving as to obtain the crown, the win the prize? A prize fighter will work hard in order to win the fight. An Olympian will work hard and discipline themselves, whether it's their diet, exercise, and that sort of thing. And Whatever they have to do to get ready to win that gold medal, that race. And Paul said, we as believers, we're striving. We don't want to just come in second place or third place. We want to win the prize. But I've got some great news for all of us here today. Are you ready for it? It's your gold medal to win. And you're only running against yourself. How about that? All you do, have to do is just cross the finish line. <laughs> serving God. You get the gold medal. It doesn't matter where anybody else enters or where, where they end up because you're just winning the prize for yourself. You know, you're the only one in the race. 
yourself. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man shall be made manifest, for in the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And if the fire shall try every man's work, and of what sort it is, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. So just to kind of condense this and say what he's saying here, our motives will determine whether it's wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. So if our heart attitude is right, the things that we are doing is gold, silver, precious stones. And when we're tried by the fire of the holiness of God, what happens to gold, silver, precious stones? It doesn't burn. But if we built on wood, hay, and stubble, well, what's hay and stubble? Hey, did you see what I did? Did you see that money I put in? Did you see how much I, if we're just talking about ourselves, if it's just what me, I, and I'm doing it to be seen of men, I'm doing it so that I can, you know, receive from people accolades and that sort of thing, what happens? Then it's burned. It's burned. So we, we don't want the applause of men. And you know, there's a strong temptation. What do we want? We want God's rewards. We want him to be pleased with our lives. So our attitudes will be just. And then number three, our faithful services also will be rewarded. Look at 2 Timothy. This is Paul the Apostle. I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. You know, the Christian walk is also a fight. You ever notice all the terminology that Paul uses and others use when it comes to the Christian life? We're mountain climbers. Climb the mountain unto God. Mount Moriah. Mount Gerizim. Mount Ebal. The Mount of Transfiguration. Think about it. Mount Calvary. All the mountains. It's like a mountain climb. So it alludes to mountain climbing. Fight the good fight of faith. You're a boxer. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You're a wrestler. The arrows that we shoot, you're an archer. A lot, of, a lot of illustrations are used in Scripture that really talk about athletics. So we understand he's trying to use the illustration of athletics so that we can, be, we can understand and he can help us understand how our Christian walk is to be carried out. Paul said, I had to fight a good fight. Then he went on to say, I have finished my course. We're running the race with patience, but the only one on the track is us. The distractions to get us off the track are many. In particular, you've got a devil who wants you off your course. You've got flesh that doesn't want to finish the course. You've got the world drawing you away from the course. So there you are jogging around that track, you know, one time and you keep on jogging around the track. You know, pace yourself. Don't go all out. And it's not a, a hundred, let's say, meter dash. It's a long distance marathon. Pace yourself and keep on going and keep on going. And when that little thing comes to get you and say, hey, come over here, come this way. Look, the buddies are going out. We're going to get wasted and all that sort of thing. You know, we say, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm on my, I'm on my, uh-uh, uh-uh. Well, you know, we got a couple of girls over here, and these girls are really cute. I'm staying on course. And, and then what about the devil come along and just 
tell you that, look, you're nobody, you're nothing, you're not good, and you know, you're not worth anything, and all that low self-esteem is to get you to stop moving forward in God. There's many distractions along the way. Stay on course with God, finish your course, and keep the faith. Can you say amen? You see, it's a, we walk by faith and not by sight. We're walking on this course. We're running and we're not wearing. We're walking and not fainting. Why? Because he's the strength of our lives. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not weary and walk and not faint. Praise God Almighty. Hallelujah. We will finish our course like Paul did and see what on to say. So therefore there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. But not just for me, but anyone that will look for his appearing. So looking for his appearing is a blessed hope that we have, which is a motivational force in our lives. It motivates us to do what? To live right every single day of our lives, realizing and recognizing. And again, I can't drive this home enough. His return is imminent. Do you remember we showed you the video the last two weeks? Kaboom. There's no time to prepare. We've got to do it now. So let's stay on fire for God. Amen. Are you on fire for God? Your God's a consuming fire. Are we serving him from the heart faithfully? Let's all stand together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father.